morning, everyone. Lovely to see you in worship this morning. It's lovely to have such a beautiful day outside as I was coming from Van Ridge this morning uh, to see the cattle and the sheep in the fields and just the beauty of the countryside. It does my soul good just to be out and about. And it's lovely to be with you again um, in uh, First Draft Island this morning. Just one or two announcements for us, friends. Uh, next Sunday, Mark Annett will be our preacher, God willing. And then on the 12th of June, we have our Children's Day, a little bit different from what may have been uh, years gone by. It's a little bit uh, quieter of the Children's Day, but uh, looking forward to being with you on the 12th for Children's Day. And just to let you know that we have a delegation going down to Assembly's building on Tuesday afternoon to meet with the Linkage Commission. And that's for the purpose of getting leave to call and then looking to proceed in our quest to find a new minister to serve here in First Rough Riding. So we'll be down as a little delegation on Tuesday and you'll get a report from that. Um, our congregational meeting, we're holding one on uh, the 13th of June, that's on Monday evening at 8 o'clock. Congregational meetings are called when the congregation is uh, called to make a particular decision. Uh, congregational meetings are only called for one purpose. So the purpose is a very simple one, either to seek to renovate or to sell and buy a new manse. That's the only item on the agenda. Now, we give two Sundays announcement normally for such a meeting just to make sure everyone um, knows what's happening. Uh, but we're going to give that three Sundays just to make sure no one is missed. So this Sunday, next Sunday, and the 12th of, of June, a third Sunday. The meeting will be the following day, Monday the 13th at 8 o'clock um, in the church hall. Um, now that's for voting members of the congregation and we just present something fairly simple. We don't want to make it too complicated um, so that we can consider whether to either retain our present manse and renovate or to seek to sell and to buy a new manse. And there's pros and cons for that and that's what we want you as a congregation uh, to consider and decide upon. I think, friends, these are all of the announcements this morning. We lift our voices as we come to God in song, as we sing that familiar old hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's taken from Revelation 4, where not only the angels are around God's throne, but God's people are pictured there. It's a picture of the end of time, and that's there's a casting of crimes before the Lord. The picture there is that we come to God with all that he's enabled us to do, and we lay it at his feet, so that all the glory goes to God. We think of that as we sing in this old hymn.
unto God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we bless you for that glorious picture given in the book of Revelation. Around the throne of God. Not only are there angelic beings veiling their faces and singing their praise. And Lord, the word we find there in the original is a, a never ascending praise, as if new words are being found to describe your glory. Lord, we come to you in faith. We cannot see as they see. But one day, O oh Lord, we thank you that before your throne, we will have eyes to see, that we will understand the greatness of your glory. Oh Lord, we thank you for what's depicted in that chapter of casting our crimes before you. You, O oh Lord, deserve all glory and all honour. We thank you for what you enable us to accomplish here on earth in your name. But we know the work is all yours. The power is all yours. The success is all yours. And so the glory is all yours. And we thank you that one day in the glory... It will be our greatest delight to take any honour from ourselves and lay each at your feet. And so, O oh Lord, we come in Jesus' name today. We come to lift our hearts in prayer. We ask, O oh Lord, that we will know much of your presence as we need. We will have that word to our minds to help us to understand. Word to our hearts. That we might appreciate your love more and more. And a word deep in the soul. That we will have that sense of well-being in your presence. For how we rejoice in the glory of Christ, the wonder of the gospel. We pray that as we think on your word today, that you'll bring that ever to the forefront of our minds. And Lord, that we'll know that we are blessed in being here. And in tangible ways, with understanding and ability to respond to you we might leave with great joy in our hearts. But Lord, we're conscious that the focus is not upon us and our need, but upon you and your greatness and glory. Help us to look to Jesus. Help us to seek to honor him more. Help us, Lord, just to lay our lives before you as they are knowing that it is your delight to forgive us our sins when we ask, and to empower us through the enabling of your Spirit, that we might walk well before the Lord, and have ability to serve. Lord, hear our prayer, and bless our hearts for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, our reading is found in Mark chapter 8, and we read from verse 22 to 30. Here we come to a very unique miracle of Jesus. It's the only miracle where he uh, does things twice. He touches a man's eyes once, and then he touches them again. Now Jesus has already raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, so it's not difficult for him to heal a blind man. But he does so in two stages, and he does so for a reason, and we find that reason in 
in the passage today. Mark 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought the blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Amen. We thank God for his truth. Friends, we have a couple of special presentations that we want to make as a church family this morning. And I know the individuals who are receiving these presentations don't want to be thanked. But it's important for us to say thanks to folk for what they do in the Lord's name uh, and for us. So I want to ask Ina McCracken and Christopher McCready to come forward. <coughs> Marilyn Ross and, and Mary Annett are also coming forward and making the presentation. Just as they're coming forward, uh, Ina has uh, worked with her family, and I know she very much focuses on her family, uh, had a career in auditing, and uh, she's been doing so much for our offering, and it's counting and sorting over so many years. Um, Christopher, our Sunday school teacher and superintendent for many years.
uh, approached me to ask if I would like to explore the possibility of becoming a Sunday school teacher. So I did, and that's where it all started and continued for quite a while. Over the years, seed has been sown, and we have seen God's blessing in our work through many children accepting Jesus Christ as their Saviour. Also, before the pandemic, half of, over half of the teachers in Sunday school were made up of young people in their teens and twenties, which was really encouraging. Over the years in Sunday school, we have had many faithful teachers, and sadly, some of them are no longer with us. As well as teachers, we have had helpers and parents working with us, uh, which was very beneficial. I don't ever remember any disagreements or harsh words among us. I believe the spirit of love and fellowship is always among the teachers and the children. Thanks must go to parents for bringing their children to Sunday school each week and for giving us the privilege of teaching them. I have also seen the important role and influence that grandparents have in encouraging grandchildren to vote towards faith in Jesus Christ. There are many memories of Sunday school which include breakfast with parents to start the new year, fundraising for various projects, Christ days, family services in church, taking part in Easter and Christmas services, uh, trips to anywhere between Port Rush and Dublin, and much, much more. I'm very aware that the work of Sunday School is made up of a lot more people than myself, but I am very grateful for the gift. I thank the church very much for their thoughtfulness and generosity.
as we come to pray for others this morning as each week passes there are incidents happening around our world that cause great trauma and pain for many people we can think of the ongoing crisis in Ukraine um, and the slaughter of so many people and the fear that the Ukrainians live in day by day with a, a vicious Russian onslaught remember the leaders, soldiers, the people there. Think too of Texas and the families who have lost uh, their loved ones, little children in a school. And I just heard in the news, maybe you heard it as well, I think about 60 people in America are, are, are shot every day in different places. So this isn't something that is uh, unique or passing. It is a daily occurrence where people have to come to terms with the sudden loss of a loved one through violence. In our prayer line, we're asked to remember a number of countries. I just think of two of them this morning, the country of Pakistan. We are partners with the Presbyterian Church of Pakistan, and living in a very much a minority community as Christians. And colleges are under scrutiny constantly, has been once taught. And churches are, are watched. People are marginalized because of their faith in Jesus. The country of Syria, we have partnership with the National Synod of, of Lebanon and Syria. And 90% of the population in Syria are presently um, under the bread line, they're living in, in abstract poverty. Uh, we sometimes can forget about Syria uh, and the trouble that's been there over so many years because of instances like Ukraine and Texas. Let's come to God and let's pray for those in great need. Let us pray. Father, the psalmist speaks of how the lines have fallen in pleasant places for him. Lord, we thank you for this land in which we live. Amidst all its problems and all its discouragements, we thank you for the freedoms that we have. And may we ever prize them and thank you for them. We think of other parts of the world where that is not the case. We think of Ukraine. We remember its president and leaders, its military, its civilians, many of whom have been displaced, many maimed and many bereaved. Those living with little food or shelter and those living in a terrible fear. Lord, we ask your mercy we pray for the blowing of your spirit across that land to touch many minds and hearts and give a sense of peace where there is no peace right away. 
We pray, O oh God, for the war to end. We pray, O oh God, for Ukraine's sovereignty to be upheld and for its people as a nation. Or we think of broken hearts in Texas today as parents prepare to bury their children. For those who have lost loved ones in such a, a violent attack, Lord, we cannot imagine how we would feel. But Lord, we know that you know how they feel and you know exactly how they can be helped. Be pleased, O oh Lord, by your Spirit to wonderfully touch minds and hearts and give them the comfort that they need. And for the future that you will continually bind up those hearts and help them to move forward as they remember and never forget. Lord, we think of Syria and people in terrible poverty and many cities and towns destroyed through conflict. We pray, O oh God, for the church as it seeks to reach out with its limited resources that there might be abundant blessing to many in need. We think too of Pakistan where the church is under scrutiny constantly and leaders live in fear. We pray for those who have lost their jobs simply because they're Christian. Those who can't get their children well educated. Those who have little prospects in their communities because simply they love Jesus. We pray, O oh God, for a resoluteness in heart. We pray for a strengthening of their faith. We pray for that touch of your spirit upon their life. Or we think too of our own church family here. We pray for us in our vacancy. We thank you for your good hand upon us. We pray for our leaders, our teachers, our helpers. We pray for all our families. That each will know your touch of grace. And Lord, as we look forward to the future, we know that you have good things in store for your people. Lord, we wait in patience and in faith. Or be with those who are sick in our family. Be with those who need your touch. Those who are fearful. Those who are concerned for loved ones. Draw near and bless, we pray. And Lord, as we come to your word, be pleased to be our teacher. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. We join together as we sing the praise, There is a Redeemer.
friends, it's lovely to bring God's Word to you again this morning. We find our passage in Mark chapter 8, and we come to uh, what I introduced as a unique miracle of Jesus. Um, on, on, a, on a first reading, someone might say, well, Jesus took two goals to heal this man, almost as if the first goal uh, didn't quite work. Now, of course, we know that's not who Jesus is. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, in fact, the Gospel begins with uh, the simple first verse, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, what a way to begin to read about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. The beginning of the Gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Of course, in Mark's day, uh, different people claimed to be God. The Caesars all claimed to be God. And the Romans had occupied the land of Palestine. And their emperor was their God. And so when Mark says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then Questions are asked, what exactly does this mean? What is it for Jesus to be the Son of God? Is he one of many gods? Is he a god at all? Because no doubt there are many in the Roman Empire when they were told Caesar was a god, they naturally doubted that, but wouldn't say. So what does it mean? And throughout the Gospel record, Mark has been showing us what this meant. Jesus in chapter 1 heals the leper. People are amazed. In chapter 2, the man is lowered down through the roof. The man who cannot walk. Jesus not only heals him, but he pronounces that his sins are forgiven. In chapter 3, in the synagogue, the man with the withered hand reaches it out, and Jesus makes it well. Just before their eyes, a hand withered becomes completely restored. In chapter 4, Jesus stills the storm. But not only does he stop the winds blowing, but the waves instantly go calm. Something that cannot happen naturally. When a storm dies down, the waves still buffet for a time, but not when Jesus spoke. The storm stopped, and the lake went like glass. And the disciples, we read, were terrified. They were more frightened after the storm than before the storm. And they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obeyed? Chapter 5, Jesus heals the man possessed by demons. He heals Jairus' daughter, bring her back from the dead. In chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000 with a few loaves of fish. In chapter 7, he heals the Syrophoenician woman's daughter who's possessed by an evil spirit. He heals the man who can't hear the heart's Chapter 8, he feeds 4,000 people with a few loaves of fish. And here, we read about uh, a man who's blind. People have been seeing who Jesus is. One who heals people instantly, simply at a word or a touch. One who feeds people with a few loaves of fish. One who, who has control of the elements of the wind and waves. Obey him. The disciples have been with him on this journey. And they've been watching and they've been listening. But they haven't just seen. There's a I suppose it is a little bit of a comical incident earlier in this chapter. Jesus is fed the 4,000 people and they've got into the boat and they're going east across 
from Tabigal to, to uh, Bethsaida. And on the way across, the, the disciples begin to argue because there's no bread. Um, and they don't sort of see how, how foolish and futile that is because Jesus has fed 4,000 people with a, a, a few loaves of this. So there's only one loaf, and that's it, and they're, they're saying, as much as, who forgot to bring the bread? And Jesus says, do you see, but don't see? Do you hear, but not hear? In other words, if you put your eyes and fix your eyes on me, you'll not have anything to worry about. A loaf of bread here and there doesn't they just have failed to see. They didn't see who he really was. Now when Jesus comes to Bethsaida, the people brought a blind man. This is the passage we read. The people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Right? The people there had heard of Jesus' healing ministry and so they brought this man. The man may well have been traumatized. We're not told whether he was blind from birth or whether he'd become blind, but either way, unable to see, unsure of his surroundings, what was happening. Um, we see here how Jesus just loves this man in a way that we would want him to love us. He doesn't do anything for the man there and then because there are people about him. Maybe the man's a bit embarrassed. Maybe he's just a bit fearful. So Jesus takes them out of the village to a quiet place. The disciples follow because we know that because of what happens. And on that way, I wonder what they talked about. Did Jesus just ask them how he was? What he'd hoped for in life? Maybe the man spoke about his fears and his disappointments. Things were on his heart. We're not told. But we can imagine Jesus encourage him and saying something to him on that short journey. And he spits and he touches the man's eyes. And it's the only time Jesus asks a question when he's healing someone. And he says, do you see anything? And of course, Jesus knew exactly what he was seeing. And the man said, I see people they looked like trees walking around. So he could see the disciples, but they looked like trees, not uh, people. He wasn't able to focus clearly. He had a blurred vision. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Now, why did Jesus decide to heal this man in two stages. Not because he needed to do that, but it was because he wanted to teach his disciples who were around about him something very special. Verse 18, when they were crossing the lake before they got off of Bethsaida, when they were arguing about who forgot to bring the bread, Jesus said this to them, do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? They had eyes, but they couldn't perceive who he was. And Jesus was about to open their eyes that they could see. And there's a teaching here for us all, because our eyes need to be opened in different ways. For us to have a faith in the Lord. And in a sense, there's not a, a, a formula or, or I'm just sort of opening up what happens in the mind and the heart. We have to, to have our eyes open to see something of who Jesus is. Here in this passage, Peter makes that confession you're the Christ, He's the Messiah, the promised one. And Jesus is drawing the disciples along to make that statement. But yet, that's not enough. 
It's not enough for a person to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's how that then affects our minds and our hearts and deep down in the soul. And we need our eyes opened further that that happened. See, Jesus asked his disciples about what others were saying. The disciples, uh, Jesus went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Some are saying Elijah. Some are saying John the Baptist. Some, one of the prophets. Now, John the Baptist was beheaded two chapters before in Mark chapter 6. But Herod the king knew that was wrong and he was. Whether he had nightmares, he certainly had a troubled heart over this. And when he heard about all the miracles happening through Jesus, he thought that John the Baptist had come back to life. And perhaps other people have thought that too. Or Elijah. The last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, was written about 400 years before Jesus came. There was an intertestamental time of 400 years where there wasn't a written word from the Lord. But in the last chapter of Malachi, God would come and send a servant in, in the power of Elijah. And so some of the people thought, well, this is John the Baptist, or this is Elijah, or one of the prophets. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses writes that, that there will be coming a prophet, and you must listen to him. A prophet greater than me, said Moses. Was it someone greater than Moses? Another prophet? But of course, there's nothing terribly imminent about that, is there? If it was Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets, it wasn't the Messiah. And so in a sense, it wasn't that urgent. We're still waiting. But then Jesus was on to ask his disciples, but who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. God had touched Peter's mind and heart and his eyes were open. And he could begin to see. Now Jesus had just healed this man who was blind in two speeches. And he did that for his disciples' benefit. He says, this man could see a little bit, but he needed to see more. And that's why I healed him in two speeches. Because you see a little bit. But you need to see more. And it's me who will open your eyes to see more. Peter had watched Jesus heal the leper. He'd watched the man lowered down through the roof and able to walk. And yet Jesus said, I forgive your sin. He watched the man with the withered hand have his hand restored. He listened to Jesus command the wind and the waves to go still. He'd seen the demon possessed man just delivered and in his rightful mind. He saw Jairus' little girl risen from the he saw Jesus feed 5,000, 4,000 people with loaves and fish. He'd seen a little girl with the demon taken right out of her and a mother filled with joy. He'd seen a blind man and a dumb man able to, to see and speak. Peter had seen all these things and God had opened his eyes. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. But isn't it interesting what Jesus said to them? The very last verse we read. After Peter said, you're the Christ, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And wouldn't we think this is a perfect opportunity for an evangelistic effort? We now know who you are. So let's tell everyone. 
problem was that people weren't looking for the Messiah and King. They were looking for a different Messiah. They were looking for someone who would drive out the Romans. Someone who would set up an earthly kingdom. Someone who would, would, would rule. And perhaps rule with a rod of iron. But of course the problem with that kingdom is that there's no payment for sin. Which means there's no eternal salvation. If Jesus had driven out the Romans and set himself up on a throne in Jerusalem, as every person died, they would be lost. Because their sins were unforgiven. Jesus was a different Messiah. He came in righteousness to live our life. He came as a sacrifice to die our death. He came to pay the price for our sin. And you see, Peter hadn't yet seen it. His eyes were opened a little bit. Because when we read on, Jesus immediately predicts his death. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. That he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. So Jesus explained very clearly what was going to happen. Then listen to Peter. Peter took the Messiah and began to rebuke him. In other words, Lord, this won't happen. You're the Messiah. You're not going to be treated that way. And Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and said to Peter, Out of my sight, Satan. Do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. His eyes were open Peter's. But they needed to be opened more. What about our eyes? We see Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming. That's the beginning of faith. But faith is a personal thing from the heart. And we need our eyes open that little bit more, that we can then have a trouble over our own sin and lostness and our need of the sin. And our, our, our head knowledge of who this is is then brought into the heart and we begin to feel it keenly. I need this Jesus. But more than that, Jesus needs my honor. He needs my life that he might be honored. See, we're not just uh, getting salvation in the gospel. We're coming face to face with the King of Kings who demands our allegiance and our allegiance, our worship, our all. Peter did want to give everything to Jesus. But he just couldn't accept the Messiah that he was at that time. But he did later. Our eyes are open and we see Jesus as the Messiah. They're open further when we see our need to honor him and our need to receive from him the salvation he can give. And then our eyes are open again and again and again. As we ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? What's my job for you in life? What's my job for you? In this place. What's my job for you in my place of death? What about all the decisions I'll be making today, tomorrow, the next day? Lord, open my eyes that I might see your purpose for me just where I am. Jesus healing this man in two stages was to teach his disciples and to teach us that we need our eyes open. But we need our eyes open again and again 
they're back again. Now there is a point in life where we have a definite experience of salvation. That's when we have our eyes open to see Jesus as the Messiah, but also our need of him when we make a personal commitment to Jesus. Peter would do that later. What about us? Is our commitment to Jesus the Messiah came personally to save us? If that's your faith, then the Bible calls you a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. But remember, Jesus will continually open your eyes that you can see more and more of him and more and more of what he calls you to be and to do. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you for your word in all its otherness. We thank you for Jesus so loving his disciples that he was at pains for them to know the truth and that they might be free in him. And on even how he dealt with this poor blind man, not making a spectacle of him, but just taking him outside the village and gently restoring his sight. Lord, we thank you that this is the Jesus of the Bible, tender, loving, committed the one who is the Messiah the one who opens the eyes of men and women and children that they may see him for who he is and see their need to honor him and their need to receive from him Lord open all our eyes that we might see him and keep opening our eyes that we might see him more and more and see what you have for us to do. Hear our prayer for his name's sake. Amen. Our closing praise is How Deep the Father's Life.
before we pray, uh, very happy to go to the door um, to greet you. I'll not be shaking hands, but I'll try to be in my at ease position uh, and not risk shaking a hand. But um, come to the door to see you this morning. Let's pray. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all this day and evermore.